Again, my name is Rob. I'm a compulsive overeater. I brought some photos that shows sort of how my physical recovery has changed through the years, so I'll, I'll pass those around and welcome to enjoy those. Uh, so I've been a member of uh, Overeaters Anonymous for um, over six years now, since 2007. Um, when I, uh, I, I'm basically, I've always been obese, overweight my whole life, and a big volume eater, a big binge eater. Um, when I came into the rooms, uh, I think I was somewhere in the, in the 260 pounds area. That's not the highest I've been by a long shot, but that's what I weighed when I started, uh, when I became a member. And uh, today, uh, I maintain uh, a weight loss, uh, in the 85 to 90 pound range, and it's been two and a half years of, of continued abstinence at this point. But I'd rather like to go back to the beginning and tell you a little more. So again, I, uh, I've been, you know, I've basically been a compulsive overeater as long as I can remember. I think at a very, very young age, um, toddler age, who knows, maybe whenever I started solid food, uh, I learned a couple of things um, that were continually reinforced in my life. The first is that if I ate, uh, if I ate food in large quantities, or, or certain foods in particular, it felt really good. And sort of whatever, whatever was going on was no longer a concern. So that's the first thing. It was, it was great medication. So, you know, I discovered, you know, food was my first drug, obviously. And then the other thing I learned was that it's not acceptable to be overweight. So uh, I had this dichotomy, this contradiction, where it felt really, really good to eat a lot, um, and I continued to do that. And it also felt emotionally really, really bad, because people told me, gave me the message, you're just as bad, you know, you're not healthy, you don't look good, we need to change this. So of course, I've been an overeater since I was a little kid. And I've been a dieter since I was a little kid. I was probably put on my first diet when I was eight years old or, or thereabouts. And I can tell you that I, I'm, was, I'm a great dieter. I'm, I do it wonderfully. I've, I've tried them all, and I do them all great. They, they all work, as long as you follow the diet. Yeah. I mean, I've lost a lot of weight over the years, right? So if, I, if I added them all together, I've lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds, probably. Uh, but then I... I gained all hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds over the years. So they only work, you know, as long as I follow the diet. Um, and although I obviously have, have a lot of willpower, because I followed lots of diets very, very uh, religiously, uh, the willpower always runs out. There always seems to be a point where the, the desire for the food is simply more powerful than my will. So, you know, ultimately... I'm really powerless in the long run over the food. And, you know, instead of going through the whole food a lot, I just, I like to tell the story of the last time I did a serious diet before I started this program. Um, and it was, uh, at some point, by the way, at some point I had reached, uh, you know, because, because of the yo-yo effect, you tend to gain more, you know, each time you 
stop your diet and regain. At some point, I had reached 300 pounds. I was a little bit over 300 pounds. That's the highest weight that I know of on the scale. And uh, eventually, what I did is I did pretty much the ultimate diet. I went, I did one of these fasts, you know, these medically supervised fasts. You don't eat anything. That's about as good a diet as you know, drink shakes, these protein shakes. Um, it's like 400 calories a day or something it adds up to. Uh, and the only reason it's 400 calories is because that's the minimum you can take to get just the, the, the vitamins and minerals that you need. If they could give you zero a day, they'd give you zero. But at any rate, uh, I did this fast for 20 weeks, five months, and I did it perfectly. I didn't cheat once. I didn't eat food. And I lost 100, over 100 pounds, like 110 pounds. And at that point, I was then at what was considered a healthy body weight for the first time in, in a number of years. And, you know, when I, when I got to the goal weight, I found uh, a lot of really good things happened for me. It was really positive. I could, uh, I could go to any store, clothing store, and I could buy my size, any style I wanted, right off the rack. That wasn't my experience, generally. Uh, I could be really uh, active, physically active, in a way I couldn't when I was much larger, and I always enjoyed running and physical act, hiking, physical activity. So that was wonderful. And in the, in the social, sexual arena, I found I was actually getting attention from the opposite sex that I appreciated, which I didn't tend to get when I was 300 pounds. So I had all these wonderful things. So basically, I had arrived. I had everything I wanted. So I should have been finished. And yet the day I stopped the fast, uh, the weight started going up again. And in just, you know, a few months, I had gained back most of what I had lost. Now that, to me, sounds like a pretty good operational, de operational definition of insanity, I think. I mean, I had everything I wanted, and I gave it away. What was wrong with me? You know, how could I be so weak? That was my thought, you know. Why, why, uh, why was I so defective, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I didn't learn, I didn't learn until I came to Ovaries Anonymous what the real problem I had was. I never thought I was an addict. You know, just my, my substance happened to be food, but I was no different than any other addict. I, you know, I didn't learn that until, until I got here. And in fact, you know, I found that no, no reward, you know, no matter how marvelous, no matter how much I wanted it, would be enough to keep me from picking up the food again. No, no, con no negative consequence, you know, no penalty, no punishment, no pain would be great enough <clears throat> to make me put the food down. No reward, no punishment would do it. So there had to be another solution, right? I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I could, you know, those, those incentives would not be enough. So anyway, so I came here, uh, and I should even say, it took me a while to come here. It took me like 20 years to get here, because I, I came to OA meetings uh, like 20 years before. I, I said I'd been here six years, but 26 years ago, I came to a meeting when I was probably high in weight and low in esteem and low in mood and willing to try anything, or so I thought I was willing to try anything. Came to a meeting and liked what I heard, and I appreciated, you know, people were friendly and welcoming, and there was a lot of hope, and there was a lot of recovery. But the problem was uh, the leader and all these other people were talking about God and all, you know, spiritual stuff, and that had nothing to do with me or my problem. My problem was I was fat, and I needed the right 
needed to find the right diet that I could live with. So I, I don't need that. So I went away for about 10 years. And then 10 years later, I would probably, again, had gone through a number of cycles and was at a, probably a high weight and a low, a low mood and low self-esteem. And, and I said, I remember those meetings. Maybe I'll try that again. And I went back to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. It was all great. And everyone was really nice and welcoming. And I, I you know, pretty much liked what I heard. Except you were all still talking about God. Like you hadn't figured it out yet. You hadn't learned. You weren't ready for me yet. So I, I went away again. You know, I don't want That's not what I was looking for. I was looking to lose weight, right? I was looking to fit into small clothes and run and hike and, and date and stuff. So, um, so I went away again. And then, and then 10 years later, about six years ago, again, I was obviously, I, well, I was finally desperate enough. I obviously had reached a low, a bottom again, but it was, the bottom was low enough that I couldn't, I couldn't stay away. I came, I heard, I stayed. And that was the difference. I, I had finally been convinced. I mean, I tried everything else. I starved myself for five months. By the way, I didn't mention I did it twice. When I gained all the weight back, the first time I starved myself, I did the fast again, because what else would you do, right? It worked the first time. <laughs> so after I gained the weight back the second time, then I think I was done. Then I think I realized, there's really nothing, there's really no other options, literally no other options, except maybe surgery, and for some reason I, I would not consider that. So, it, Thankfully, I'm glad I didn't go that route. Um, so, yeah, so I stayed, and that made the difference. I mean, I was resistant at first. I didn't have a spiritual background. I was agnostic or atheist. Um, I was not very comfortable with the God concept. But I stayed. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting, by the way, it, made me, it makes me think, because uh, um, I, I mentioned how I had come and gone away the last two, you know, two times in this 20 years, and it makes me realize, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, in working with others, it talks about how you approach a possible protege, and you don't, you don't start off by saying, I've found God, I've had a spiritual awakening, come, you know, come get God with me, you know, you start <laughs> off by... You start off by talking about your experience, what it was like, and you identify and you, you explain the pro your problem, and presumably if he or she sees how your problem is the same as their problem, and you know they then want to know what you did, then you have an opening to explain a little bit further how, how you did it. I just think that's kind of interesting because uh, in the few cases where I've tried some 12-stepping outside of these rooms, in a way we seem to do it mostly in the rooms, I think. You know, it's been my experience. But a few times I've tried to do it outside the rooms, like people at work had interest in what I'm doing. And as soon as I mention the spiritual, they, their eyes just glaze. They go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I've never brought a person to a meeting from outside, you know, outside of the 12 steps, you know, um, if they weren't already involved with it. That doesn't mean it can't happen, but you know, I think it's, it seems to have been a long shot for me. But anyway, that's that, that's kind of that's kind of an aside. It's still try, still try. So so yeah, so I came uh, about six years ago. I kept coming. It took me about three months before I actually heard enough and had enough hope to become to, willing to ask someone to sponsor me and become abstinent. And I started working the steps with this sponsor. And I did, I did well. 
I did well for, uh, for a while. Um, the problem was uh, once I started to lose weight and once I got into a routine, um, I kind of got a bit complacent in that. I, ended, I lost maybe about six, 70 pounds over the course of a couple of years. But I, I started working the steps, and when I got to the fourth step, the fourth step took, seemed to drag on forever and ever. And it often takes a long time, but when I say forever, I mean didn't do it, didn't finish it. You know, months, you know, a year went by and I hadn't finished it. Not only had I not finished it, I hadn't really written very much at all. So you could probably predict what happened if I, you know, I failed to continue to enlarge my spiritual life. I relapsed after a couple of years. And in a relatively short time, I regained about 60 pounds of those 70 pounds. Um, the only thing I did right, and I, I'm not going to tell you, I, I don't recommend relapse to anyone, and I don't think relapse is inevitable for anyone. Um, you know, it's not a necessary part of recovery in this program. It's very common, obviously. Uh, but that was awful. I was miserable, you know, to have, to have found even just a, a glimpse or a, a measure of serenity and spiritual awakening and then to basically give it away, willingly give it away, did not make me very happy with myself. And you know, then seeing the physical recovery go away was all you know awful. And, uh, so yeah, I just wanted. I was I was miserable. I wanted to die. You know, was, but the one thing. So I don't recommend that for anyone. That's, that's not a good time. It's not a good time. However, the the the, cut, the caveat is it turned out to be exactly what I needed. It turned out to be really really beneficial in the long run for me in my long-term recovery um, because uh, I guess I needed to go I needed to go do some more research you know really it's what it's what it was I guess I needed to be convinced again no I really am a compulsive overeater there's no cure for this I'm not finished I'm not done I haven't graduated and this is what happens if I forget those things so um, the one thing I did right during that year because it was about a full year of, of relapse is I never stopped being a member of this fellowship. I never stopped coming to meetings. Uh, I've always come to meetings very regularly. I've always been in touch with people outside meetings, and I continued to do so throughout that year. Uh, and it was tough, you know, it's it's tough to go. Uh, it's tough to be in that mindset and go sit in meetings sometimes and hear people express their gratitude, and it doesn't fill you with hope. It fills you with envy and anger and jealousy, you know. Um, some days. Some days it does. Uh, so, so that was difficult, but I think it was absolutely, again, I mean, I'm very, very proud, grateful that I didn't go away because I don't know how much worse it would have been if I did. It might have been much longer than a year. It might have been much more than 60 pounds. I might not be alive. I mean, who knows? Um, staying, staying close and staying with you know my fellows that I can identify with, I think is is what saved me and what kept things kept it as as uh, contained as it was. Um, so after a year, again I was a, I was a drowning man. You know I felt like I was going down for the third time, and I was willing to grasp at anything. And uh, I uh, uh, I was ready to ask for help again and look for a sponsor again. And I called um, I called someone who I, I know has has many you know, decades of recovery, and I, I've always, you know, respected his uh, his, uh, his uh, spirituality and his uh, his recovery. 
and asked him if he'd sponsor me, and he said, uh, he's full. I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm full, but if you want to work the steps, I got some guy who's going to take you through the steps. And he gave me, you know, a name and number of someone to call that I really didn't know. I mean, I, thought, I think I had uh, met, I think I had seen him speak once, maybe, um, but I didn't know, you know, he's basically a stranger to me. And that is, you know, that's, that's real willingness, basically. I called up, I called up a stranger and said, uh, you know, you were recommended me to me by so-and-so. Uh, I need help. You know, I really, uh, I'm in re I'm coming out of relapse and I, I want to work the steps and would you help me? He's like, yeah. And that's, this person's been sponsoring me for two and a half years now. And it's been, uh, you know, a, a amazing, you know, healing, beneficial relationship for me. I'm very gr grateful for that. So, uh, you know, that's another, that's another miracle. And now, in these two and a half years, I have worked through all the steps, uh, doing my best to live by the principles of the 12 steps each day, um, sponsoring a number of people myself very, very imperfectly. That's a hard, it's a hard, sponsoring's hard, you know, because, because same, uh, you want to use the same methods you know that you, you recovered with, with each person, but each person is different and they want to do things a little different. And, you know, you want to be a little flexible, which you don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to totally abandon your, your way because that's what worked for you. You folks who sponsor a long time all know what I'm talking about. It's really, a, you know, it's really a, a, a balance of, uh, you know, of, of, of being just, you know, loving and accepting and flexible and also, you know, being somewhat authoritarian or guiding or parenting when you have to be. It's really, really hard. But, but it's beautiful, too, you know, because that above anything, above all else is what keeps me abstinent, I think, because um, although I've had amazing freedom um, these days, most days, from my obsession with food, it's far from perfect. And some days... I have a lot of thoughts about food, about wanting to eat things that I haven't eaten in a long time. Um, and every once in a while, I have kind of, a, kind of a strong obsessive thought about food. Sometimes it comes back, you know. Uh, I guess uh, by, again, by having a spiritual practice, by, by working with others, by um, continuing to, uh, you know, by doing a tenth step, by continue, continuing to... Um, uh, look for and identify my defects of character and ask for them to be removed. By doing that somehow day to day, um, I'm maintaining enough of a spiritual condition that, you know, these, these thoughts and these obsessions don't, don't overcome me and don't overwhelm me. And, you know, I, the fact that I've been able to maintain a weight loss like this or a healthy weight for a couple of years is, is the unique and miraculous experience for me, right? Because I know that I can lose weight over and over and over and over without God. I just can't maintain <laughs> any weight loss at all without God and without my fellows and without you know, identification at all. So the fact that I've been able to maintain a healthy weight within, you know, a five... I've been up and down around uh, five pounds, eight pounds, somewhere in that range. So, again, I, I certainly don't expect to be perfect and be the exact same weight. Um, every, I get on the scale every couple of weeks to see what my maintenance is like. 
and the scale goes up and the scale goes down, and when it goes up, I'm not happy, and when it goes down, I'm happy. But the bottom line, is, the bottom line is, I've been in the same, I've been in a healthy weight for two plus years. That's unbelievable. I know I'm not doing that myself. I know because I tried for forty something years to do it by myself, and it just didn't work. Um, you know, I work. Uh, of course, of course, I'm, I'm trying to still work the steps, live by the principles of the steps. That's the ultimate. That's five minutes left. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm trying to uh, maintain that connection in my spiritual fitness. Obviously, I do employ a lot of the tools of the program. I mean, all of them to some extent. Um, of course, I mentioned sponsorship. Uh, I use the, I read the literature all the time. Uh, I'm often involved in big, big book studies of one sort or another. Where the you know that's where you get the real unadulterated instructions for how to work the twelve steps. Um, food plan of eating. My plan of eating is not rigid, but it, but it but it's very very important. If I didn't have any plan, I you know I don't know how I would you know maintain anything really. So you know of course there are some foods I don't eat which I consider alcoholic or allergic foods. Um, I try to eat three meals a day. Sometimes there's a snack, there's a snack involved, but the, kind of the most important thing is the planning. What I consider the, what I consider part of my plan of eating, which is to me is the most important, is the commitment and the honesty around the food. Um, and even when my I've gone uh, pretty pretty far afield of what I had intended to, to eat initially. If I'm honest about it and can turn it over and own up to it with my sponsor, at the very least, I can move forward from that. You know, and it doesn't have to fester in my mind, and it doesn't have to um, spiral or escalate into the next meal and the next day. And there's, you know, more than most days I eat what I commit. I mean, again, I'm talking about the exceptions. You know, the vast majority of time I eat what I commit. But when the days haven't gone well, I think by uh, you know, swallowing my pride, having a little humility, and calling and saying, "I this is what I this is what I ate," and he says, "Okay, you know, try this next time," and it's over, it's done. The next day is a new day. Um, never tried that before because you know when I dieted, it was me, it was me doing it myself, you know, handling it all myself. So that's so that's uh, really helpful. I don't know what else to say. Must I go to 30 minutes, or are we allowed to have more? <laughs> I'm drawing. I'm just drawing a little bit of a blank. Usually, I can go, you know, twice as long, but because I don't know what else to say, and I know there's a lot of maybe a lot of questions. I will stop here. Thank you. Time for questions only. All right. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Readers Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, we are being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Uh, but I will restate the question so that it's definitely recorded. Yes? Thank you so much. Um, so, an obsessive food thought comes up. What do you do? Uh, and if, what do you do when an obsessive food thought comes up? Well, actually, uh, yeah, there's instructions in here on what to do. So I'll tell you what I would do if I was spiritually fit and doing the right thing. Sometimes I just kind of panic and, you know, 
get annoyed and whatever. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what the book says to do. So actually, I think that actually is a 10-step situation. And, and you know, we practice, uh, when I'm doing it right, I'm practicing a 10-step throughout the day uh, by doing a spot check inventory. And I'm being, um, I'm being conscious and, and um, insightful to when I am disturbed in any way. Now, uh, if I'm being, you know, if I have thoughts of uh, pizza running through my head, that's that's disturbance. That's disturbing to me because that's not going to lead me to good things. So, so how do I do that? Well, the book the book tells you, uh, you know, first I sort of try to identify what, you know, what, what's really bothering me. Um, you look for when you're resentful, uh, fearful, uh, dishonest. Or, you know, have I been dishonest in a situation or harmed anyone in any other way, I would say. And then kind of, to me, overriding all of those is selfishness, because all of those are kind of, you know, are kind of um, examples of being <laughs> selfish and self-centered. So when I can identify um, that I, I am in one of those situations and what I'm feeling, then the book is so cool because it tells you exactly what to do when you identify those things. Um, first, you want to pray to your higher power to be relieved of that situation, that experience, right? To not be fearful, to not be resentful or angry, um, to have the willingness to correct your wrong, whether it was dishonesty or anything else. Um, then, you know, you want to, then it's really important, this, this I do well, sometimes I don't do the others as well, is you want to talk about it with someone else. And the book has the word immediately in it. So I interpret that to mean immediately. <laughs> that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that night when you review your day or when you call your sponsor the next morning. It means immediately call, call a fellow, call your sponsor, call a friend, and tell them this is what's going on. As, as we all know, just sharing that can be really just therapeutic on its own. So it's not some stupid advice, right? Uh, it's a very practical advice. Um, then, in the case where you do have something to correct and amends to make, do it promptly. Do it right away. Don't wait. Because, again, it's something that's going to weigh on you until you do it, probably. And then, lastly, we have to get out of that selfish frame of mind, and we have to uh, think, at least think. The book says turn our thoughts to where we could help others. I like it. It doesn't even say help anyone else. But I think, I imagine you can do that if you have the opportunity, but at the very least, you think about others and how you can help them. And I've done that. Is that the end of my answer? I don't know. <laughs> I'm almost done. My group is like, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, and you know what? If I still am having obsessive thoughts or still not feeling right, I do the cycle all over again. And that's the right way to practice the 10th step, I believe, according to the instructions in the book. I don't do it great all the time, but I'll tell you when I do it, it works. <laughs> so I, I recommend trying it. Uh, yes, ma'am. Do you set aside time each day to work your program, to for your own self-care, to take care of you? And if so, how do you do that? I, I have a, a spiritual practice when I set aside time each morning. Oh, the question is, uh, do I set aside time to work my program each day and, and take care of myself? So uh, I have an 11-step practice, right, of prayer and meditation, and there is definitely time set aside for that each morning. That's one of the first things I do in the morning after I, you know, 
put my contact lenses in and use the bathroom or something. The next thing I do is um, is I do um, some set prayers, uh, a lot of prayers from the big book. Um, it, you know, it might be it's like five, five to ten minutes of prayer actually, and then a, and then I have settled on for me ten minutes of time meditation. You know, and it took a while to work up to that because to sit still for me to sit still for ten minutes with my eyes closed, doing nothing but letting you know my my mind. But letting thoughts enter my mind is tough. Um, so when, when I got up to 10 minutes, uh, it felt it felt right. It felt good, and I was comfortable. And, and going much longer than that is hard for me. And then I'd start to get anxious. I got to get ready for work. So that works for me. So that's my so so maybe about 20 minutes in the morning, 15 to 20 minutes is my spiritual practice. But I really really try to be consistent with that. I'm good with that because when I'm running late and I miss that. You know, the day just doesn't start off right for me, and I, I just feel behind the eight ball the whole the whole day. So that really helps. And I must say, I do get a lot of intuition sometimes during that period of meditation. I have had um, I have had you know thoughts uh, enter my head, which seem to be the solution to some overwhelming problem I had. And sometimes it's not that profound. It's like I had this. You know, I, had, I remember having this huge problem at, at work, and uh, I didn't know uh, how to deal. You know, I didn't know how to deal with it. And then I swear to you, only during ten minutes during this meditation period one morning, I had this like resounding thought in my head: Why don't you talk to your boss about it? <laughs> That's what I did, and it worked out really well. But I couldn't come up with that. I honestly, I could not come up with that on my own. My best thinking could not come up with that answer until I, I relaxed and I prayed and I asked for guidance and I sat quietly. And so to me, yeah, that's what it, I know it sounds it sounds ludicrous, but but I take that as as I take that as insight from my higher power. I really do because I just couldn't think of anything that simple. So that's what I do for myself. Yes. Could you talk a little bit, first of all, thank you very much. Could you talk a little bit more about your relapse and how you got out of it? Uh, yeah, so the question is about my relapse and how I got, got out of it. Well, again, I, I you know, the way it started, uh, th- thanks for the question, because um, people do always want to know, like, what was happening? Like, what made you relapse? <laughs> And I don't remember any specific events or incidents. I honestly don't think, uh, I think it was life because, you know, an unmanageable life is more than enough to get me to relapse anytime, no matter how small or great the things that are going on. Um, you know, if I feel, if I feel alone, if I feel hopeless, if I feel like I can't cope, and it doesn't take much, right? Our, our, our 12 and 12 talks about how you know, we thought basically our lives were over. We panicked when the car wouldn't start or the computer wouldn't turn on or something, or we couldn't balance the checkbook or something. Yeah, that's all it takes. Normal people don't call, again, you know, they don't call the suicide hotline, right? They, they take their computer into uh, fries or they call AAA or whatever they need to do. You know, we're, I'm, ready, I'm ready to chuck it all. So, so I don't think it was a specific event. I think it was honestly that I wasn't maintaining my spiritual condition. I had gotten complacent, I had gotten arrogant, I thought I was cured. And that's that's all. You know. I just stopped practicing I just stopped practicing these steps in the program. So that's how it started. And then of course, once I started eating and the phenomenon of craving developed, then nothing's gonna stop me until I'm done. It just happened to be a year long 
<laughs> Crazy. Uh, as far as how I got out of it, uh, I just think, uh, again, n- nothing too profound. I-, I think it's desperation. I think I hit far enough to the bottom and, and got, um, got despondent and hopeless enough. You know, literally, you know, again, the book, the book literally has the metaphor of a drowning man, you know. And when you're, you know, when you really, when you really believe that you're drowning, you'll pretty much reach out for anything they throw at you, no matter what color the lifesaver is. Actually, I'd probably grab an anchor if they threw it at me. Anything they throw at anything, you know, it's better than me just drowning. I'll grab whatever you throw at me. So at a certain point, I got desperate enough to, to be willing again to try, you know, to, to try anything. And, but I had, I also had the, I already had the experience of knowing that this solution was effective because I had had a spiritual awakening before, but probably not to the extent that I have had now. So that's why I said I'm actually in the long run grateful for my relapse because my recovery today is so much stronger than it was before. And it was terribly painful, but I survived it. And since I survived it, in the long run, it was probably a good experience to have. I, I think, I imagine it was part of my higher powers plan for me. Um, so I don't look back on it uh, with resentment, although I don't want to do it again. <laughs> uh, all the way in the back. Uh, hey, Rob, thank you very much for your share. Your higher power, is it different now than it was a few years back when you got into the program this time around? The question is, uh, what is what is my higher power like, and is it different than it was before? Uh, when I first came into program, I didn't really have a higher power. My concept of a higher power was the God of my father, who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that didn't that did not make sense to me. Uh, it sounded like a very angry, jealous, capricious, just a mean guy. Uh, I didn't want that God, so I abandoned you know, religious uh, tradition very early in my life. So I came in really being a secular person and and thinking, you know, science explained everything. Uh, And it's so funny, you know, how how that has changed. Um, I went through through the steps, I've been going through the steps a second time now uh, through a a particular workshop, which is not um, uh, OA. Uh, but it's uh, really, really helpful when we got to step two and our, our con- uh, uh, and step three and our concept and our concept of God. Um, I finally sort of got to write out what 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 higher power means to me. And I do I do use the term God. Um, and I actually believe, for me, my higher power is simply sort of the uh, the perfect or the ideal. Um, uh, the ideal uh, uh, expression of what I would like to be, or what, you know, how I would like to treat others, so that my, to me, my higher power is a being with no, with no defects of character, and my goal is each day to become closer to my higher power, to become more like my higher power, to, uh, to, you know, to, to emulate him, and to uh, try to follow his example, which I can never do, because. The higher power to me is perfection, and I can never be perfect, right? If I ever got to that state, then I'd be my own higher power, and that's how I got in this trouble in the first place. <laughs> but that's really my, you know, a, creature, a, a being who's, who's all loving, who's uh, completely selfless, who, uh, you know, has no, who has no defects, 
um, and, uh, and, I, and, a, and a power that I can channel and that I can turn into. Uh, I also very much like the concept of, you know, mentioned in the book that we, we search for this power basically within ourselves. And I, I honestly think, you know, again, I have a hard time thinking of like a concept of heaven or another realm where this being resides. I think kind of a being, this being being around us all the time and inside of us all the time. And I think each of us have a pearl of a, it's a pearl of him or it inside of us. And I think that we can, I think, you know, all we have to do is turn to it, basically. It's already there, right? It's not that we have to necessarily, we don't even really have to ask for his help because the help's already given. We just have to accept his help and stop rejecting it. That's sort of the way I think it. Is that, I think that's the end? Oh, good, good. Oh, you get a good question. Thank you for the share. Um, um, you've experienced probably a lot of self-hatred over the years as a result of this disease. I think a lot of us share that feeling. How do you happen to self-love? How do you be kinder, gentler, easier with yourself? Okay, thanks. So the question is, uh, how do I deal with self-hatred and, and experience more self-love? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I think uh, that brings uh, to mind one thought I had. A, a revelation had very, very um, quick, very, very uh, recently, just a few days ago. When I was about 13, my parents sat me down out of, with the best of intentions and said, you know, you're, you're getting older, your body's changing, you're going to want to date girls, and girls aren't going to date you if you're fat. That was their way of helping me. And that was not helpful comment. That actually, um, that actually shaped my personal identity for the next 30 years. This, uh, I remember that incident a few days ago when a leader in another meeting talked about a very similar experience she had with her parents when she was about the same age. And uh, that memory flooded back into my head. And I realized that this memory, this experience, which had shaped me for 30 years, I hadn't even thought about it months, maybe a year. I don't know how long. It was completely gone from my, from my consciousness. I still have the memory because when she talked about it, I remembered it. But I have absolutely no feelings about it now. So that's a, four, that's a fourth and fifth step issue. So I had, that was a resentment I basically had against my parents for this thing that they did, which is not, was not a great thing, but it was well-intentioned and they were doing the best they can. And today, those kind of experiences, at least that one, that one, it, w it was lifted in doing a fourth and fifth step and I have no feelings about it. Now I remember it and I, it doesn't affect me. I, I realize they were mistaken, they were wrong, they loved me, they did the best they can, that's all I got on that, I have no other feelings. So that's one thing, to have, you know, and the, the last thing I'll say, one more thing. The other thing about self-love is, you know, when it came to, uh, again, fourth and fifth step and ninth step amends, it's the forgiving myself and making amends to myself was very difficult. I could forgive almost anything else for anyone, you know, that anyone did, but forgiving myself was tough. And then what I did is I took the prayer in the big book, the prayer for lifted, lifting of resentments, like, God, this too is a sick man, how can I be of service to him? I just realized, you know, if I change the words a little, I can say that about myself. So that's something I do in my prayers every single morning because I need to be reminded to forgive myself and love myself. So it's like, God, I, I too am a sick man. You know, how can I take care of myself today? How can I serve myself today? You know, I too am worthy of forgiveness and compassion and love. You know, save me from my anger turned inward. 
Thy will be done. That's that's what I say, and it's really been helpful. So thank you for for, for asking about that. I guess that's all the time. Well,